my goodness, it's perhaps it's you, your favorite unofficial Unsolved Mysteries rewatch podcast with your cool mystery aunts. I'm Liz. And I'm Samantha. So I was doing Zine Fest the other day, Samantha. Mm -hmm. And I had some copies of our first perhaps it's you zine. And I realize that's not for most people because, you know, it wouldn't make sense. <laughs> it's like a lot of inside jokes about the podcast, but every so often someone would pick it up and I'd be like, Oh, you know, that's, that's about my podcast. Did you ever watch the show on solved mysteries? And this person said to me, yeah, that's that. That's like that really old show from the early two thousands. Isn't it? <laughs> really old. <laughs> oh my God. Was that, was that Arden? Yeah, it was. And I was just like, yeah, but actually before that, there was a time. <laughs> older. There was a time before the early 2000s. And that's when Unsolved Mysteries was on. Oh, oh. Anyway, that's what we're here to talk about today. And we should really limit the waffle because this is a two-hour special for some reason. Yeah, let's get into this. We got olden times to talk about. This episode has fucking everything, but I guess they wanted to go out on a bang. We have a two-hour season finale. We haven't seen that before. How many mysteries are in this? Okay, I'm going to count. I have one, two. I have three mysteries. Uh, and you see. must have. Do you have three also? Let's. Unless I missed one. Okay, folks, okay. we have put off recording this episode like several times. This is the last possible second. We can record Four. this episode. Did I do I remember much of this marathon of an episode? Do not. So I this hope is, I didn't miss any of my notes. This is a total of seven mysteries. So fucking Holy set shit. in. It is going to take us forever this is really two episodes just smushed together because they were like season six it's been going on forever at least in our <laughs> podcast so let's just get this over with it with a bang but goddamn that's basically gonna have to work twice as hard now we i was like all right we're finally at the last episode <laughs> two hours it's two hours long yeah, I oh. sat. I sat down and I saw the because I you can watch this on uh, YouTube if you don't know for free. And I sat down to watch my YouTube video and I saw the little you know counter or whatever at the bottom going to like an hour and thirty seven minutes or whatever the hell it is when you take out commercials from a two hours of television. And I was like, that can't be right. They must have put like some ads at the end. Or nope, nope. It was accurate. Mm-mm. Okay, so we're just gonna get right into it. I you think I have should. stuff to say. My only announcement is that this is the last real episode of the season. So if you have a spooky story that you want to send to us, that's perhaps it's you podcast at gmail.com. And you should have already sent in your zine stuff to that address. And if you didn't, you send it in now. You pretend that you already sent it and you just send it now. And it's okay. We'll squeeze it in. <laughs> All right, our first mystery. I know Samantha's jealous because I get to talk about Bigfoot. Extremely jealous. And in this, uh, groups of Bigfoot are referred to as Big Feet. So if you were wondering <laughs> if, it's, if the plural was Bigfoots or Big Feet, according to the segment, Big Feet. Unsolved Mysteries has spoken. It's Big Feet. I think that's actually super confusing, but 
Okay. Okay. So we open in Mount Hood, Oregon. It is April 1994. And it opens, I shouldn't have told you that it's Bigfoot because it opens on a manhunt and there's like volunteers combing the forest. And you're supposed to think it's like a bank robber or something. But no, bitch. They're looking for Bigfoot. Robert Stack has already ruined the surprise, though, because he calls it the mysterious creature known as Bigfoot. When oh, the segment, yeah, you're right. When the segment opens. So you you kind of know, but... They do this thing. They act like it's, like, this big reveal that everybody's, like, out in the woods and there's someone up in a helicopter and they're searching, but are they looking for someone on the run? No, they're looking for Bigfoot. I mean, and that th- is technically someone on the run. <laughs> I guess, if he's running. What well, if he's, he's just hiding? <laughs> he's no leisurely one, strolling. Found he's leisurely strolling. I mean, he um, right there. He's just cloaking like the predator, but I, there's only one yeah. way to there's only one way to cloak, and it's like the predator. <laughs> and Bigfoot does it, I think, all the time, every yeah. day. Okay, would you lean towards that Bigfoot is a ghost or Bigfoot is an alien? Which would you of those theories do you prefer? Because it doesn't seem like he's just a missing link out in the woods. Like, we would have found his bones or whatever by now. Which one do I prefer? I'm going to say alien. Hmm. Because a ghost yeah. of, of what? A, Good. Okay. Just a big I would, foot, I guess. <laughs> I would <laughs> lean towards... Okay, so sea monsters are probably actually, like, whale penises. But I do... <laughs> if, Okay, look, if you want to Google it to know what I'm talking about, you can, I mean, but... You're, you're right, I just, that's not where I expected you to go. Um, but I do like the theory that, like, Nessie is actually the ghost of a dinosaur. I like I'm, that. See, for for lake monsters, I would lean towards ghosts. But I, th- but I think you're right. I think Bigfoot alien. Interdimensional being. Now, that's not because we watched that boring documentary. No! I genuinely lean towards alien. <laughs> okay. Well, look, this is what we're watching in this Unsolved Mysteries supposedly is a training exercise <laughs> to train people to hunt down Bigfoot. Um, and Robert Stack says, Bigfoot, Yeti, Sasquatch, no matter what this beast is called, many believe that he exists. He is the missing link between ape and human. Okay, Robert Stack. Yetis and Bigfoots. Different thing. Not the same. <laughs> Well, that's, so that's why I asked you, because I feel like we've moved away from this missing link theory, and we're now in just, like, no, Bigfoot is, like, something paranormal. When you say we, are you meaning, like, our podcast, or people in general? I mean, I met everyone, collectively. I agree. I don't know that I have heard people, and maybe it's just because we're curating the media that we watch and it happens to be the weirdest stuff out there. Maybe more normie Bigfoot documentaries would call him a missing link. I don't know. Because we don't watch those. Um, But yeah, I think that's true. I really want to ask Rob Lowe right now what she thinks. Maybe I'll tweet at him later. Maybe I can get a response. Okay. So this training exercise was funded by the Bigfoot Research Project, which goddamn has too much money. And it is headed by, quote, noted adventurer and world explorer Peter Byrne. And you're thinking to yourself, wow, I wish I was a noted adventurer and world explorer. Yeah, that's just code for rich person. Yeah. That's not a real job. I hear that and I'm like, where are you exploring? Yeah. <laughs> are there, probably unless you're exploring like 
the Mariana Trench. Like where in the in the in the actual globe um has not been explored? The sewer. <laughs> People have been down there too. <laughs> I know. Um I have to go on a slight tangent now that my, so my friend for a long time was seeing a certain uh massage therapist and she seemed a little i don't know quirky at first <laughs> fine but she talked a lot about like visualizing success whatever right fine yeah sure that's used in like sports medicine and shit which is why she was getting these massages uh and that slowly turned more into like stuff like the secret like, you can't get sick if you don't, like, believe it, which, whoa, that's not true. But, you know, it's starting to get, like, a little bit more weird. Where mm-hmm. my friend was like, okay, I'm really not on board with the chatter, but she does give a great massage, and she's right across the street. But that slowly descended <laughs> into her massage therapist. And I don't think this is particularly relaxing, so I'm not sure why you would talk about this. But she apparently believes there's an entire race of, like, sewer people. <laughs> Okay, you've told me this story before, and I really want to know more. Is this like Ninja Turtles? Is this okay. like a Ninja Turtle conspiracy, or do do people actually believe? I mean, okay. clearly this person does, but this how person- widespread is this conspiracy? Is it's probably somehow anti-Semitic, but I don't know. Yeah, that's that's true. It seems like when you get deep down into any conspiracy, it turns out that you're just blaming Jewish people for things, but um. Apparently, she's not alone. My friend did do some internet sleuthing, but it is like a whole thing. I think maybe people just watched Futurama and thought it was real, which which is concerning because that is a cartoon. <laughs> it's not even like you watched a TV show and thought it was real. Like you watched a cartoon where some people have one eyeball and you were like, documentary. Um I don't know. Well, that just goes to show that the sewer is not unexplored. <laughs> okay, anyway. So this guy also has hilarious rich person voice. <laughs> yes, and, he does. Which, I'm not sure I can do, like, a male rich person voice, but it's anyway. It's a bit of a British accent, but kind of, I don't it's know, like, is, he, is he over-exaggerating it? What is he doing that makes it sound so comical? I don't know if he's, like, so rich and English that he's, like, I've never actually heard someone from that level of wealth talk, or it's fake. Like, I don't know if it's just, like, he went to a school so posh that I've never heard of it, and I'll never meet anyone that goes there, because they're, like, this whole different part of society. How does that person become a Bigfoot hunter? (laughs) That's my question! Or is this guy- story? I must know. Is this guy actually from Gary, Indiana, and that's not his voice at all? And he's probably more likely. And that this is just like a long con that he's like trying to convince people he's like English Indiana Jones. Someone from Gary, Indiana is going to email us and be like, I know that guy. That was Bob. We went to high school together. (laughs) He's a total fraudster. Yeah. Okay. So, anyway. You'll be relieved to know that the Bigfoot Research Project does not want to capture and kill Bigfoot. Oh, good. Unlike those guys from the low files. No, they're not out there with guns. They want more of a Jane Goodall experience. They want to meet Bigfoot, (laughs) learn from Bigfoot, communicate with Bigfoot, have Bigfoot lead them to other big feet. Like, they're trying to, like, get into their community. It's kind of like when you meet someone and you're like, oh, I'm going to make that person be my friend. I'm going to wiggle my way into their life. 
I'm going to slowly like invite them to like a couple things. Right. And like in a few years, we're going to be best friends. That's how this guy feels about Bigfoot, except that he hasn't even seen him yet. Maybe that's the approach that they should take. Be like, Bigfoot, do you want to go to Marshall's and smell candles for an hour? (laughs) Which, by the way, is Samantha's definition of a really good friendship. (laughs) And then from there, you you branch out. Let's go see a movie. (laughs) Right. Get get some all-you-can-eat sushi. I see. The candling is the, like, introductory level of friendship. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Do you want to go to Marshall's and smell some candles? And then later it's like, do you want to have all-you-can-eat sushi? Yes. Yeah, okay, great. I love it. Um, Let me get, get me in touch with the Bigfoot Research Society. <laughs> Bigfoot, how do you feel about fall candles? <laughs> Who doesn't love a fall candle? Do you agree that Bigfoot the summer is a forest? He probably loves leaves from Bath and Body Works. Oh, yeah, you're right. He's <laughs> what a basic bitch. Okay. <laughs> so, Robert Stack tells us that attempts to document Bigfoot. Have so far been sketchy. And <laughs> say Robert Stack. <laughs> I like Robert Stack using the word sketchy. And you know what? He's not wrong. Because the home video. I wrote down home video footage isn't great. I feel like that's true. Okay. Plastic footprint casts aren't super reliable. That's me being like very generous there. Like footprints. No, they're just blobs. People find holes in the ground and make casts of them. And they're like, see, it's a footprint. And you're like. Or a puddle, or like there used to be a rock there, and you lifted up the rock, and all the worms squirted away, and then you filled in the cast. The plaster cast that is shown in this episode really does look like it a blob. Is a blob. It there's nothing I would call toes. There is nothing that suggests a foot. It is just like you found an indent in the earth, and you wasted some plaster. I hope you're happy. Tell me about the nutcracking stations. Do they find any of those? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, I just wrote down at this part, Robert Stack looks tired. (laughs) I didn't (laughs) notice that. He's filming a Bigfoot mystery. Yeah, I think that his heart is not in this at all. And I don't remember writing that down. And that's very funny. He wants to film another gangster mystery. Yeah, he's like, is this about Elliot Ness? No, don't care. Um... Is Bigfoot real or an elaborate ongoing hoax? And then he just says, well, even some hoax, even hoaxes are usually based on something. Are they? I don't know. He's like trying to suggest like, look, even if Bigfoot is a hoax, that hoax means there's Bigfoot. I don't. Okay. I would understand if you were like, okay, like some belief is rooted in something. So even if Bigfoot's not real, the fact that people believe in him is like based on some real things, like strange things that are going on. Not like straight up hoaxes have some some anchor to reality. Not this not does not have to be the case. Samantha, don't you find that in the center of every scam is a kernel of truth? Well, that's Bigfoot. I don't I don't know. It's a very weird thing to say. So eyewitnesses report reports of a humanoid animal who walks upright and with what Robert Stack called an almost comical gait. Okay, Robert Stack is just on unsolved mysteries, trash talking the way that Bigfoot walks now. Almost comical gait. Has Robert Stack seen a Bigfoot? How does he know? 
He's just thinking about those slow swinging arms, just laughing, just sitting on his gold yacht, pouring himself another martini and just thinking about how ridiculous Bigfoot looks walking around. <laughs> However, he is said to be harmless. So is that, I guess we don't know of anyone harmed by a Bigfoot, but look, is a lot he- of people go missing in the forest. We don't know. Oh, it's true. Okay, if you were harmed by a Bigfoot, please write in. Perhaps it's you podcast gmail.com. We gotta know. That sounds like that sounds like an ad for like a an accident attorney. Yeah. Or if you, you are someone you love <laughs> a personal injury attorney for Bigfoot attacks. Were you Yeah, were you personally injured by Bigfoot? You may be entitled to compensation. <laughs> and it turns out there's a class action lawsuit against Bigfoots. Because he's been, actually, it's it's not because he's, like, violently hurting anyone. He's been prescribing medication that, <laughs> <laughs> that it turns out causes blood clots, so. Unfortunately, Bigfoot doesn't have a lot of assets, but they're working on it. <laughs> he's got, he might have a lot of land. Oh. I don't know. Or maybe Bigfoot harms people just by, like, ghosting them. He, like, <laughs> he doesn't show up for a lot of dates. Because he's ashamed, you know, of his, like, body wow. hair and such. And how he walks. And <laughs> his comical gait. He doesn't want people to see him walk into the restaurant and, like, fall over laughing. So he just, he just bails on another date. Anyway, we're going to get into some eyewitness accounts now of people who have seen Bigfoot. Mm, okay. <laughs> the first one is Todd Neese, who is a sergeant in the army national guard so once a month (laughs) since his sighting he has been returning to the oregon coastal range where he saw bigfoot during maneuvers in 1993 and he was out there doing some like army training thing i don't know but he looked across this ravine and he distinctively saw three large black figures the largest between eight and nine feet tall samantha that's tall (laughs) that is pretty tall oh my god what was that hilarious tiktok you sent me today okay actually it's funny that you mentioned that because while i was waiting for you to set up the zencaster i was just re-watching that tiktok over and over again so it's probably still up on my phone oh yeah there it is uh this is from user sadie k hansk h-a-n-s-k and the TikTok is just her going on to you. They, people must do lives on TikTok. I'm an old. I don't know. I'm not really on TikTok very much. <laughs> I found this TikTok via Instagram because I'm an old. But she just goes on random dudes like live streams on TikTok and calls them short, short kings. Yeah, it's and then not, records it's not bad. Rea- and then records their reactions. Their reactions are so funny. There's two parts. You have to go to her Instagram to see the second one. I was watching both just like over. It's so entertaining because these dudes get so upset at being and they all claim to be six, six foot. There's no way they are literally all six feet tall. (laughs) That's what I found remarkable is this phenomenon that apparently all men are six feet tall. You didn't know that? literally all men are all six feet tall it's so funny to me she's giving them a compliment she does the little like heat sweating emoji you know tongue out and is like we love a short a short king and these dudes the panic in their eyes what so funny someone thinks i'm short i just if this is something you're concerned about i just want to assure you as a woman cursed to be somewhat attracted to men that no one cares. What? No I've never. 
I've never been like, wow, that dude's hot because he's tall. No, I don't care. I, I mean, I'm sure that's someone's thing, but I don't really think it's like across the board. No, like I don't think that's her. not a personality, so it's really not something <laughs> I've ever been concerned about. I googled it today. Rami Malek, five seven. So I that's know. not holding. That's not holding him back. No, I don't know that he counts as a short king, but he's not six foot like literally every man. <laughs> What's also funny is to to watch these dudes because she records their reactions. Like it, they they pause to like think about how tall they want to be. <laughs> You can see it. And then they all come up with six six feet or six foot one. All of them. So Aww. funny. Well, so I just funny. I just I just thought of it because if you're going, well, this person just saw people in the forest. Uh no, they were eight to nine feet tall. And all men are six feet tall. So but, Yeah, those big big Bigfoot is not a short king. <laughs> yeah, no. The other two were a head shorter. So maybe those were just dudes. Not sure. They or were all- <laughs> in Bigfoot term big feet terms, short kings. Yeah, exactly. A short king Bigfoot <laughs> is seven feet tall. Everybody kind of picks on him a little bit. He's a little insecure about it. Mm. Oh, someone tell him it's fine. Yeah, it's female fine. B- female big feets don't care. <laughs> well, I can't speak for them. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's where this insecurity comes from. I guess that's true. <laughs> okay. So they were standing upright on all on two legs before you think this is some other kind of animal. No. You're standing upright like a human, but they were too tall. Bears can stand on two legs. Shush. Quiet now. <laughs> are, they, are these people just seeing bears? Again. Probably. This is also at a very far distance. But, okay, he also, he wouldn't have said anything about it. He would have just thought he was dehydrated or something. Except that another sergeant came up and asked if he had seen it. Because he had also, he was like, did you see? Did you see that? And the guy was like, see what? He's like kind of testing him. And he's like, yeah, I just saw three big feet. And he was like, me too. So that's kind of interesting. I think this is true in another account we get later. That there's two witnesses. Hmm. It makes it harder to dismiss. Okay. So we get Peter back with his hilarious rich person voice. And he's saying that Bigfoot may be nocturnal. And, and that they may have woken him up with his military exercise. And that's why he was up and about. And maybe that's why we don't usually see him because he's sleeping. <laughs> they disturbed his slumber. Okay. So we get another eyewitness account. This one happens exactly one month later, strangely enough. Two women were driving on a remote road about 100 miles from where this first story took place. The driver talks to Unsolved Mysteries in silhouette, I guess because she doesn't want to be like the laughing stock of her town. The person that saw Bigfoot. But anyway, so they're coming around a bend in their car when the driver saw movement. She probably thought it was a deer. She slows down and then a fucking Bigfoot just walked in front of their car. This is another case. There was two eyewitnesses. There was two people in the car. They both saw this Bigfoot. Um, They said it was very close to human, but not. It had no neck. The arms were long and swinging with its movement. They don't mention that it has a comical gait, but we can just assume. Um, And they apparently reported this to this rich dude at the Bigfoot Research Project. And he went out to find footprints at this location and they were headed towards a dead steer. So was Mm -hmm. the Bigfoot going to eat the the deer? I don't know. That you can, you can conject from that is bigfoot carnivorous 
Yeah, I guess that's the question. I always, I, I always thought of him as a peaceful lad. I didn't know he was out there, but maybe he's more like a scavenger. Maybe the steer's already dead. Actually, I'm not sure if it was a steer or a deer from my own terrible handwriting, but hmm. um, towards a dead something. Was he just eating it because it happened to be there and he was peckish? Well. Okay, we got one more. This one is something. So this is in 1989. There's a sighting by Elmer Frombach. That is a name of Seattle when he took his family to a trip to the Canadian border. Elmer is an electrician and quote, part-time prospector. Don't know what that means, but he went into the woods to stay with the client. Now Elmer has a mustache. I am putting this forward for this episode's most valuable mustache. It's really just a big bushy brown mustache, but I called it Bigfoot's BFF. So I wanted to win. Okay, so this guy was walking on a trail and was at some... And as he's walking along, he notices that some trees have been broken along the trail as if he was trying to block it, which is something people claim Bigfoot do. I don't know. But at one point, he realized that he was not alone. <laughs> and then he tapped on a rock, <laughs> as you do. And then he heard a tapping response in the woods. Like he did it and then he heard someone else do it. And he thought that maybe his kids were playing a trick on him. Rightfully so. So he yelled at them to stop. And then in one of the greatest reenactments in Unsolved Mysteries history, a Bigfoot comes rolling down a wooded hill. (laughs) Which means that they had to put someone in a Bigfoot costume. They even like covered their feet and roll them down a hill. They may have pushed this person off a cliff. They're like <laughs> raising <laughs> down. <laughs> okay, I say rolling like it's leisurely and fun. Samantha is right. This person is ricocheting down rocks to come, tra- and and to, come, to come crashing down on this trail. It did not look fun or comfortable at all. No. So, um, this might be dead. so obviously that was bigfoot at first elmer thinks that it's a bear so he fired a shot into the air to scare it i i don't know if that's a good idea or not but he turned his head okay the bigfoot turns his head to look at him and then just like is just he's not scared he's just like nonplussed (laughs) so he's like kind of annoyed and he just starts walking down the trail taking quote perfect human-like strides which doesn't sound comical at all, I've got to say. He could see Bigfoot at the end of the trail, crouch down, and then start smashing a rock against other rocks. Like, Bigfoot's Nut like... cracking stations. <laughs> like, he was like, well, better get back to work, smashing rocks as I do. Uh, but then he starts to chase him down the trail in this amazing reenactment of reenactment Elmer running away from a guy in a Bigfoot costume through the woods. (laughs) This had to have been really fun. Maybe not for the person that was pushed off a cliff, but for everybody else, I feel like filming this had to have been a lot of fun. And then that rich guy comes on to tell us that this is not a chase. Because the guy with Elmer's like, I don't understand. Bigfoot could have clearly caught me, but he didn't. It's like a chase to me. And the rich guy's like, no, this was a demonstration charge. Okay. He's just telling Elmer to leave his territory. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, 
That's the end of that story. But based on eyewitness accounts, the Bigfoot Project sets up infrared cameras, quote, in hopes of capturing the elusive beast. Hmm. I feel like I clearly this person has too much money. And I guess this is a, a more fun way to spend it than some. But I was also like, this seems like a huge waste. <laughs> You're setting up infrared cameras in the woods in hopes of catching Bigfoot. You're just going to see, like, possums fucking. Like... <laughs> Maybe that's what he really wants. (laughs) You're not going to see a Bigfoot. But anyway. um, But where is the tangible evidence, Samantha? That's when anthropologist Darius Swindler, which that's a real name. Darius Swindler. Don't trust him. Okay. He points out that no one has ever found any bones or teeth. Yeah, that would be helpful. Uh, At this point, I just wrote down that Unsolved Mysteries really rented a helicopter for these Bigfoot reenactments, LOL. Okay, so if you're going to watch this, just keep in mind that we didn't have drones, and we didn't have drone shots this time. So to get these, like, above shots of Bigfoot running through the woods, they literally rented a helicopter. (laughs) And that's so funny to me. Um... Eyewitnesses say that we need to find Bigfoot, but also that we need to leave him alone. It's kind of a contradiction. People were definitely like, we need to find him. He's out there. And also he just wants to be left alone and we should do that. We should respect Bigfoot's wishes. Yeah. Respect his, he's an introvert. Respect his privacy. Maybe he doesn't want to be on your TikTok talking about his, his nut cracking station. (laughs) Okay. He's off the grid. Just let him be. Okay, now we have. Okay, this story is wild. I'm happy. I'm excited to talk about this amnesia thing with you. Oh yeah. Okay. Are we on mine now? Yeah, we're on yours now, and it's it's a roller coaster ride. Okay. So is this an amnesia or is it a missing person? I don't remember. I wrote down amnesia, but that doesn't mean that's right. <laughs> Do I remember? <laughs> no. Someone. We are looking for someone. It's just that he may or may not have amnesia. Stay tuned to the end for a twist. Okay. So we are looking for Craig Dwight Williamson. He's a fisherman, and boy, does he look like one. <laughs> yeah, he sure does. He's got the big white beard, mustache. He's wearing a, what I can only describe as a fisherman hat, but just a regular hat. I don't know. It just seems like fishermen have to wear hats. I think I as a child, he was walking through the freezer section with his mom, and he saw Gordon's fisherman on a pack of fish sticks, and he was like, Mommy, that's what I'm going to be when I grow up. And then that's what he did. It's what he turned into, because he looks like... <laughs> The Gordon's Fisherman. So imagine that's what this guy looks like. Mommy, mommy, when I grow up, I want to be the Gordon's Fisherman. And she was like, yeah, whatever. I'm so uh, tired. You're going to be a doctor? No, he turns out he's going to be a fisherman. He's um, be Gordon's Fisherman. And I don't know if fisherman is that accurate, because he actually wanted to be a fish farmer. Is that the same thing as a fisherman? Not really, but... We'll get I don't there. know. Whatever. So Craig Williamson was 46 years old when he married 41-year-old Christine Reinhardt at Lake Tahoe on October 7th, 1990. The two had only known each other for a month, but they knew that they loved each other and they were destined to be together. You would think this is the start of a scam segment, but nope. You would especially think that because they decided to get into what Robert Stack calls the lucrative business of fish farming. Mm-hmm. Is Which it still I, lucrative? I don't know. Is it? Should we be I fish mean, farming? 
Okay, but they also they also describe tilapia as an exotic thing. <laughs> Robert's tech does call tilapia exotic. And I, I realized I realized that like at the time this was like that wasn't like a the mainstay of American food. Now I feel like you know you couldn't go to a restaurant and not order tilapia, but <laughs> um, but just you know it's a little look into the past when people yeah. would be like, I'm sorry, a what? A tilapia. Oh, sir. <laughs> it's a tilapia and it's delicious. Yeah. So like Liz said, uh, they began raising what Robert Stack calls rare and exotic <laughs> fish known as t- tilapia. Uh, they plan to you've sell never, it. You've never heard of it. You, it you're, if, you, if you're not a fish hipster, you've never heard of this rare and exotic fish. They were planning to sell it across the country. On August 28th, 1993, uh, Craig went out on a routine business trip to Colorado to sell fish. As you do. Uh, like you do, yeah. <laughs> you just drive around selling fish. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Christine was worried about him driving because not that long before this, he had suffered a concussion. It had only been a couple of weeks, and I guess he wasn't acting like quite right after the concussion yeah uh but he insisted and i assume it seems like a small business he was probably the only fish selling guy they had so he was off to colorado to sell his tilapia after arriving there he rented a car to go to business appointments what kind of business appointments do you was he just like guessing like restaurants negotiating with restaurants or something i'm trying to imagine Maybe fish, like fish business, fish. but I'm guessing it's restaurants, maybe like fish markets or delis or something. But he's just like, you know, trying to get people to place wholesale fish orders so he can like drive around dropping off people's tilapias. He wasn't like wheeling and dealing, trying to buy the, the best fish breeding fish. I don't know. It reminds me that in the book Gone Girl, there's this like weird little plot about while she's on the run, she, like, runs into someone stealing fish. And then is, like, helping him steal fish. <laughs> Guess what? They didn't put that in the movie. The fish-stealing plot. This is an aside, but a couple years ago I read... Uh, I don't remember who the author was, but it's called The Dragon Behind the Glass. And it's about... Shoot, I forget the type of fish. But it's, like, the most expensive freshwater fish like that you could have as a pet in the world. Okay. And there's a, a ton in there about the like illegal bit, like people steal these fish because they're so prized and they're like very rare to find them in the wild now because they've been like hunted to extinction or whatever. Sure. And you wouldn't think there would be a th- like a thriving fish thievery. <laughs> it was fascinating. It's, it's, it was a very enjoyable read. Hmm, okay. I want to know more about fish stealing. Maybe I want to get into fish stealing. I don't feel like I'm in the right part of the country to become a fish thief. Yeah, no. I'm going to have to like go into people's ice houses and <laughs> steal push- their their crappies. Yeah, push their drunken ass over and steal their bucket of crappies and slowly meander across the frozen lake because I don't want to <laughs> run and slip. <laughs> I show up in snowshoes. <laughs> to steal their sunfish. <laughs> That's just this excuse people have to not spend time with their families and they like have caught barely any fish. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. 
So, okay, so he's going to his fish appointments. At 9 p.m. On, October, on August 30th, he spoke to his wife on the phone. He was at his hotel, and this was the last time she heard from him. Craig was supposed to return home the next day, but he never arrived. That day, his credit cards were discovered at a market in El Paso, Texas, 675 miles south of Colorado Springs. That is quite a distance. Oh, that's not a good sign. Two weeks later, and just across the border in Juarez, Mexico, his rental car was found abandoned. Also not a good sign, although there was no sign of foul play. It was just left. It's like he just left his car there. Yeah. Which you can, like, park on one side of the border and walk over Hmm. so that you don't have to... Okay, so if you're, like, crossing the the U.S.-Mexico border and you have your whole car, you have to, like, go through customs and, like, wait in the line. But there's points where you can just park and walk and, like, bring your passport and then they don't have to worry about you, like, smuggling a bunch of shit, right? So it takes less time. Okay. So, yeah, so it kind of almost seems like... Well, well, we can theorize how his car got there later, but I just thought I would mention that. Yeah, it was interesting, and it was found in Juarez. So Detective Robert Johnson headed to Colorado to invest, or he headed the Colorado investigation. Christine began her own investigation into his disappearance. On September 14th, she herself arrived in Colorado Springs and visited the hotel that Craig stayed in. There she learned that he had left his, his his baggage and his possessions behind, there was no evidence of a struggle again. Uh, it appeared as though he just left all his stuff and walked out. However, she believes that he may have been attacked that day, the day that he vanished. She believes that due to his injuries, he wandered off to an unknown location. So her theory is that he already had this head injury that he's not recovering well from he had been acting strange before he left and he was attacked again in colorado and this confluence of injuries made him lose his memory and he just wandered off and at this point watching the episode i'm like that's absurd i don't think that's what happened um probably nothing good happened to this guy but i'm not really sure i'm always skeptical of amnesia um this just seemed a little bit I don't know, too coincidental. Like he's going to get another head injury on top of his other one. Like that's probably not what happened, but we'll see. So television stations in Colorado and and Wisconsin reported about Craig's disappearance and Christine's search. Within days, a retired nurse from Montana named Judy Inman came forward. She says that two weeks after Craig vanished, she was traveling from Montana to Washington on a train when she saw a disheveled looking man uh on board she believed that this man was craig and she remembered that he was talking about fish tanks uh which is a very specific detail in the in the reenactment i think he's he's just mumbling over and over i need to get the fish or i need to see a man about a fish or something i need to get back to the fish and i need to get back to the fish these two drunk guys are kind of harassing him like oh what kind of fish dude and he's like you wouldn't find those fish around here they're (laughs) They're exotic fish. Rare and exotic. So being that she was a nurse, she recognized the signs of a head injury, which is interesting. Oh, that is interesting because she recognized the signs of a head injury. And and what did she do? Is it nothing? Well, is that's... It, is it absolutely nothing? Is she on this train realizing that this guy is disoriented, doesn't know where he is, is like... He's mumbling hot. about fish. 
is distressed and she just goes, huh. And she does let him just wander off the <laughs> she train. She does jack shit! Oh. And, and she clearly, like, took notice enough that weeks later she remembered when she saw it on the news and she came forward. So it seems like she should have done something. Look, do I really know what she should have done? No, but I was kind of like, way to go. <laughs> way to just let him keep wandering around. Very yeah. helpful. Not great. Not great. However, this was helpful to Christine because she is absolutely certain that that man was Craig, especially because of his ramblings about fish from out of state. So she also believes that he was headed to Washington because they had initially met in Washington. She traveled to Washington and continued her search there. For six weeks, she went to various locations along the train route that Judy and the man were on. On December 26, 1993, she met up with Judy and Judy showed her photographs of each of the train stations along the route. Judy believed that the man uh, resembling Craig had gotten off at uh, Wishroom, Washington, which was near the Oregon border. Christine believes that Craig might have mistaken Wishroom for Washougal, which is a town that he had lived in during the 1980s. Um, Craig's son went to Wishroom and placed missing persons posters all over the place. However, none of this uh, came to anything. They they found no. There was this was the last lead, um, and that's why they turned to unsolved mysteries. So, are you ready for the update? Are you sitting down, everyone? On July in July 1995, Craig himself saw a re-airing of the broadcast and recognized himself. He was living in Key West, Florida, and he claimed that he was mugged in Colorado Springs and developed amnesia, which was worsened due to the concussion that he suffered the month before he disappeared. Craig could not remember much else from the attack, claiming that he woke up in a hospital with the name Ron. He also claimed that he wandered aimlessly throughout the United States before arriving in Key West, where he found a job as a driver. Craig soon uh, contacted Christine along with his ex-wife. Unfortunately, this is what Unsolved Mysteries says, he did not remember Christine or his family, and nevertheless, Christine and Craig were reunited, um, but they eventually parted ways because he claims that he did not recognize her at all. Uh, they, he, didn't, he didn't remember anything about her or her, their relationship. He didn't remember they were married. He didn't, no. like, none of that rang a bell. And so they ended up getting a divorce, but they did remain friends. Um, and Christine eventually moved to Wyoming to start life anew. Now, I was looking up articles about this, and I I want to say that some people are suspicious of Craig's claims. Okay. And Unsolved Mysteries Wiki does mention this, that despite Craig's claims, investigators are suspicious of am his amnesia story and believe that he may have staged his disappearance because he was uh, had a, a bunch of debts and they think that he oh. could possibly have been, um, he was struggling under the responsibilities of running this new business, that it wasn't going well and that there's a chance that he ran off and his story what i will say is that the story he comes up with is very similar to christian's theory <laughs> so i kind of want to believe that this was a, a wild case of amnesia but there's a little bit of skepticism there because uh yeah it does exactly match christine's he was like oh yeah i was mugged and and, and blah, blah blah but he did have a head injury head injury prior to going to colorado so there is i don't know 
Maybe it was amnesia. It's wild. Okay, what I'm trying to figure out is how he just, like, started this new life without his credit cards or, like, any money. It kind of... It kind of seems to me like he drove his car to Mexico. That's why I brought this up. I think he drove his car to Mexico, left it there, and walked back. Okay. I yeah. think he. Le- I think he left it there. I don't yeah. know if he thought that, thought no one would find it or people would think it was stolen, and you know, like or someone would steal it in Mexico. I don't know, but right. I think he left it there. It's it's convenient that it's just like perfectly fine waiting just on the other side of the border yeah where he where he could easily get back into the united states yeah that is that's yeah you're right that's a good point i hadn't considered and that's that's a little bit sus as well um i think he thought that either nobody would find it or assume that it had been stolen yeah and that he had disappeared into mexico and they'd never find him again or something right i'm guessing he just had cash on him to like start his new life i don't know yeah, that sounds, I mean that sounds hard to me, but I guess if he had a bunch of debts, it's like having six hundred dollars is way better than having negative, you know, a hundred thousand dollars. So, right. Right. Um, he was like, "Yeah, this fish thing is not really going to work out." And I feel bad because his wife seems so devoted to him. But how long have they actually been together? Well, so they had only. I don't know. I'd have to look back at my notes. I know that they had only been together for a month before they got they married. They got married. And, and I think- pretty quickly dived into this fish thing, and it doesn't seem like it was going that well. So I'm guessing, like, I'm not even sure they really said, but I'm going to guess, like, a couple years. Like, maybe he just wasn't as devoted yeah. as she was. Which oh, is the Unsolved terrible. Mysteries wiki says he had $2,500 in cash with him when he vanished. Okay, well, there you go. He and Christine also, they didn't say this in the mystery, I don't think. He and Christine had also put all of their money into the farm and borrowed another $400,000. Finally, his bus seemed ill-equipped to bring fish back from Colorado. It had no tanks, no fish food, and no coolers. So it doesn't seem like he was on, he had any intention of bringing fish back from Colorado. Okay. It's... Uh, okay. Oh, his re- okay, it gets worse. His rental car had his beard clippings in it. Lab technicians determined that it had been cut with scissors, suggested that he was changing his appearance. Okay, then my only question is, why does he come forward? Why does he watch Unsolved Mysteries and get in contact with his wife? Maybe people in his life were like, you look a lot like that crank guy on Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs> Or maybe he, like, needed a divorce for he, some reason. Yeah, maybe maybe he actually needed to finalize his divorce. Maybe he um, just felt bad that Christine was traveling all over the country searching for him and never giving up hope. He had a son. They had a son together. Oh, my God. Maybe he missed his son. <laughs> he wanted to start over a fish-free life, but it came at a high cost. Yeah. It's a wild story. For a second, for a second, I did think it was actually amnesia, but I kind of don't think it was. I don't. information. I think it is very convenient that it's basically exactly what she speculated, and it is kind of like, in terms of someone leaving you, a best case scenario, it's like, oh, he doesn't even know. He doesn't even remember me. It's not that he doesn't love me; it's that he has this head injury, and it's not that it's like he weighed the pros and cons of living this life and decided he could get rid of you and the debt and that that was a better option. Yeah. Uh, Okay. 
It's, it's wild. This is one's wild, too. Okay. So now we're on to a wanted. This is the story of Dorothy and Bill Wacker in a small town in Ohio. For some reason, they don't tell us what town. I guess they don't want you to, like, join in on their stalking. Um, <laughs> they are going to track these people down and harass them and make their life even worse. So on January 16th, 1985, their home was ransacked. And it was... We see a reenactment of this, but this was actually the third such incident since 1984. And this harassment of this couple goes on for 10 years. They assume that someone wants them to move, but they don't know why. And Bill said, why should I be forced out by a kook? Okay. Well. All right. Fair. Okay. So now we get a kind of strange reenactment with Dorothy, where she lets a man in to use the phone because he said his car broke down. And she's like, where's your car, though? Dorothy, red, red flag, Dorothy. And he's like, oh, it's like right over there just where you can't see. And she's like, okay. So she lets him use the phone, but then gives him like a lot of privacy and leeway where she's actually like in another room. And she can hear him on the phone, like calling a tow truck and whatever. But she just assumes that he leaves. That would freak me out. I really, okay, Dorothy is just obviously a lot more trusting than I am. I mean, this is this is small town life in the 80s. I guess you would be because you haven't been scarred by Unsolved Mysteries yet. This, I'm telling you, I feel like this this show completely changed the way people interacted with like their towns and neighbors. Where suddenly it's like, oh no, if I let someone in to use the phone, they're definitely going to hit me on the back of the head and tie me up. Which is what happens to Dorothy. She wakes up like hogtied in her kitchen. And she has to assume that the guy that's using the phone is the person that did it because she never actually heard him leave. She's tied up and her mouth is gagged. And eventually she manages to like make enough noise through an open window that her neighbor hears her. Oh my God. And when, so then when the police and her husband's come, some items have been taken, such as a watch and a video camera. Um, and in the, in the, on the wall, written in crayon, like a child would write, it says cheap, but will do. What? And I just wrote down, what the fuck? <laughs> the someone breaks into your house, or I, I don't know if that counts. You, you get into someone's house, you steal their stuff, you hogtie them, and you're like, okay, this is kind of, this is kind of shit, though. Like, what did you expect? <laughs> you thought these people, they don't live in a mansion. These are just regular people. Like, cheaper, but will do. I guess. The stuff I'm stealing. What a dick. I wish they had a little higher price tag, though. Okay, so Dorothy could describe her attacker for a police sketch, and even though it's a decent police sketch compared to a lot of other ones we've seen on the show, it doesn't lead anywhere. Weirdly, very weirdly, the stolen items are returned one by one, starting with the revolver that was taken by the house, which is just left on the porch in, like, a plastic bag. (laughs) So Bill comes home and just finds it, like, wrapped up on his porch, his own thing that was both stolen and insulted. We hear from a cop that tells us, this is extremely unusual, if not very rare. Oh, thank you. Thanks for that. (laughs) Is it... Is it, is it extremely unusual, if not very rare, for a, a burglar to take things from your house, insult them, and then return them one by one? <laughs> I like, want their money back. Why bother? It's like, uh, I stole this video camera, but you know what? It's actually a piece of shit. Here you go. <laughs> so at this point, they start getting a series of harassing phone calls, which is sometimes just breathing and sometimes is a list of threats, like the things that he was going to do to them. 
I feel like, honestly, breathers, if you had a phone in the 80s, people just called and breathed into it. Don't know why. It's just pervs didn't have the internet yet. So I'm sure they're trolling people now to get their kicks. But back in the day, they just like to call, hear you pick up and go, I don't look, there's a lot of pervs out there. But in addition to that, they would also get threats saying things like, I'm going to tie you up and probably worse. Uh, um, despite changing their number several times, the call continued. And so like they would change their number, it would be unlisted. And this harassing, stalking person would find it again and keep calling them. Very eerie. Someone also started banging on the side of the house. However, when Bill would go outside with a gun to find out who was banging on his house, he never saw anyone, and he also never saw a car or heard a car leave. They put up a security light on the front porch, which is just, by which they just mean a light that's attached to a motion sensor, right? Like, if there's movement, the light comes on. Which did nothing, except that they found a note on the porch saying, your lights are a laugh. What a dick. They received other notes, which are at least some, I wrote down, which are at least some tangible evidence of their harassment. The, the cops noted that the notes appeared to be written in an opposite hand as if to conceal the handwriting. No fingerprints were ever found on these notes. So going on to October 27, 1993, their stalker struck again, sneaking up behind Dorothy and striking on her on the head while she was outside. However, the neighbors didn't see anything. At this point, the police start to suspect the husband, Bill. Mostly because it's strange that there's no motive to this. Yeah, who would want to <laughs> fuck with these these normal people? There's no demand. They interpret it that someone wants them to move, but actually none of the mo- notes say, like, move out or anything like that. They just insult their stuff and their security lights. and <laughs> They're not asking for anything. Um... Also, they noted that this activity is sporadic. Like, there will be periods of time where a lot happens, and then months will go by where nothing happens, and then, like, the phone calls or whatever will start again. In 1993, they decided to, quote, take matters into their own hands. So, along with their friends, they staked out their own house and were communicating by walkie-talkie. Yet, despite the onlookers, who saw nothing, a note was left on their porch that read, Get the message. What is the message? Yeah, which was like, no, we don't get it. Um, So that's the end of this. This is considered unsolved. Sadly, Bill died in 1999 at the age of 79. It is not known if the harassment continued after his death. Dorothy died in July 22nd, 2010, at the age of 83. Um, Personally, I also am suspicious of the husband, why do you think, if it was him, why do you think he was doing it? I don't know. Like to scare a power his tri- wife? A power trip over his wife? This is how he, like, when he was mad at her, he would get back at her? I, I, the reason that I think that is mostly this thing where everybody stakes out the house and somehow I know it still gets on the porch. And to me, it's like, yeah, it's because the guy lives there. Yeah. And also... The guy that attacked her who, like, she, who came into the see, house. See, that's the part that I can't explain it's i mean i guess the husband could pay someone to do that that seems like he's very committed to this but (laughs) that i can't explain it's it's weird to me that 
okay, so this is going on for 10 years. Their neighbors are very alert to it. None of them ever see anything. And okay. I'm betting these people sat by their windows and waited and watched trying to catch this creep. Oh, and yeah, they, for sure. They never saw anything. They never heard a car. They never saw a car parked there. What yes. if that guy who came, what if he really did crash his car and he really did call a tow truck and really did just leave? She doesn't remember. She doesn't remember hearing him leave. All she does is, all she remembers is waking up on the floor. What if her husband came home and did it and has and nothing to do with And she just remembers that this guy, she thinks it's a stranger. So she, this guy is obviously it, but he was just completely, I mean, she heard him call a tow truck. Could have been real. Honestly, I'm leaning towards that. I think this is a sketch of a guy who used the phone one time. Yeah. Because I can't explain the other things. It really seems like it's him. Why? I don't know. He's not well. He should just get divorced. I'm not sure. <laughs> this is his entertainment? Yeah. He's really super bored. I, he secretly hates her. I don't know. She insists on the episode that it couldn't be him. She doesn't think that it's him. Yeah. And maybe it's not. Maybe it's just some, I don't know, wacko from their past that's like. But yeah, they, you're right. How has no one ever seen? That, honestly, as soon as the police said that the, the neighbors have never saw, seen anything, I bet. I don't. I bet there's not a lot going on in this town. And I bet those neighbors wanted to see that creeper so bad. I bet yeah. every free moment they were looking out those windows being like, oh, is that guy <laughs> harassing Dorothy again? Right? I and they, would, <laughs> and they never saw saw or even heard anything. Yeah, like, I want I, I want to have my true crime moment. I would have suspected they would be calling in like every car they saw that they didn't know who it was to the point where like innocent people were getting like roped into this thing, and this guy's just like, ah, oh, I'm just delivering a package, right? Like, <laughs> I'm just a courier. Leave me the fuck alone. Yeah, yeah, I think I'm with you. I think I'm with you. It's very strange, though. And you can, you know, watch the segment for yourself, take a look at Bell, you know, consider yourself a, a body language expert, <laughs> try to figure out whether you think he did it. That's total speculation on my part. I, you know, who knows? Yeah. That is a mystery. Indeed. All right, you All have right. a really sad one now. Yeah. Trigger warning on this one. This is the death of multiple children. So... That's a fun mystery to include in your two-hour special. Yeah, it's brutal. All right, this is a wanted, and this is the mystery. This is the story of the Jordan children. So Molly Jordan was a nurse. She lived with her five grandchildren, 18-year-old Demetra, 16-year-old Bernard, 9-year-old Erica, 6-year-old Jamal, and 10-year-old Kedrick. Uh, she also had her 1-year-old great-granddaughter, uh, Jasmus. They lived in a home in Dallas, Texas. Uh, by 3.30 p.m. on September 28th, 1988, all of the children were home from school, so Molly left to work her night shift at the local hospital. She was supporting these five kids on her own. Working uh, double shifts every day. Yep. Uh, I'm she tired just thinking about it. I know. In a hospital. Can you imagine? Oh, uh, no. I can't. I honestly can't. She planned to return at 7 a.m. the next morning. She carried a beeper so that the children could reach her at any time. 
At around 3 a.m. on September 29th, Ketrick woke up to the sound of his brother Bernard talking to someone. Now, as a reminder, Ketrick was 10 years old, um, and he was hearing the voice of his older brother, um, Bernard. Uh, He went to the living room and saw his brother talking to to, uh, some unidentified men. I forget how many there were, two or three. The men were asking Bernard about money. When Ketrick came into the room, the room, Bernard got mad and told him to go back to bed. A few minutes later, the house was set on fire, presumably by these two men who were believed to be drug dealers that Bernard had been getting his drugs from. It seems like the theory is that Bernard was mixed up with people. Maybe he was selling drugs for someone and he had this debt. Um, he, the, the men had placed furniture in front of the door and also the hallways to where the bedrooms where the children slept and they show like, this was absolutely clearly deliberate. They show like a floor plan in Unsolved Mysteries and where the furniture was placed and it was deliberate to trap the children in their rooms. Um, I mean, this this is a house with like one central hallway off of like main living room area right like you have the entrance to the home comes into the living room area i think the kitchen's like connected to that and then you have one hallway that has the bedrooms and bathroom so by blocking off that one hallway like you can't get anywhere else in the house there was a there was a front door that opened into the living room and then there was a kitchen in the sort of the back left hand side if the the house is a big square the back left hand side was the kitchen and dining room on that left hand side and then like liz said there's a main hall right down the center all of the kids rooms so they blocked the front they went through there was on the left hand side there was a window where they think they broke in they pushed a couch in front of the front door and then they pushed some more furniture in front of the hallway to to trap the children in their rooms and then went out the same window um yeah it's bad um so the children were trapped in the burning home when the fire started the children broke the windows to try to escape um but the release handle on the burglar bars jammed so there were bars on the windows there was a release but um they jammed and so the children couldn't get in the firefighters were also unable to get into the house through the doors because of how the furniture was placed and the burglar bars prevented an easy entrance for the firefighters so it just it slowed them down yeah they say they take time to saw through the bars right to get in And I think that they there was only one window in the house that didn't have the bars on it, and it was the window that they came in through. Yeah. And I'm sure the fire department wouldn't have done that, so. No. It was also, like, on the other side of the house to where the children were. I'm not even sure that they could have gotten to them from there. Um, so by the time they were able to enter the home, it had been 10 minutes. Bernard, Erica, Jamal, and Jamas were all dead. But Ketrick and Demetra were found. They were barely alive. Uh, I believe Ketrick, Ket- so Ketrick is interviewed for the show. He survived and he describes waking up next to Demetra in the grass. And I think there was a firefighter standing above him. Tragically, Demetra passed away at the hospital. Molly left the hospital when a relative called her and told her that the children were dead. Oh my God. They said the children are all dead. They're all gone. And so she is at work and she has to drive home after hearing this. And of course she comes home to find her house in flames and almost all of her grandchildren dead. It's horrible. Ketrick told authorities what happened that night. It is believed that the men 
had set the fire in an attempt to get Bernard outside. It is also believed that they entered through, like I said, a window on the front of the house that was not equipped with burglar bars. So at this point, police are obviously looking for the people responsible. In the years since the fire, Ketrick uh, underwent several operations, including an amputation of both legs. He uh, has prosthetic legs now. Um, after the fire, hundreds of people from the community donated money to the Jordan family. Since then, Ketrick and Molly have moved to a new home um, in a different part of Dallas, and they still hope that the arson and murders can be solved. So this is what, let's see if I, I pull up the Unsolved Mysteries wiki. I think they had an update. So this is known as the Strawberry Trail Fire. I don't believe it was known at, of that at the time of the, mis- the episode airing. Um So Unsolved Mysteries Wiki calls it unresolved. In 2001, investigators received a break in the case when a new witness came forward. The witness had been arrested on unrelated charges when he admitted to investigators that he had helped dispose of gasoline-soaked clothes and other evidence on the night of the 1988 fire. The witness, who was 15 at the time of the fire, claimed that he was a lookout for Jamaican drug dealers in South South Oak Cliff. He gave street names for three suspects. They were, okay, Freddy (laughs) Krueger. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's your street name. Not, All right. I didn't. I did not see that coming. Okay. Uh, Freddy Krueger, Curly Diamond, and just mm-hmm. Silky. Oh, the worst. Sure. They, okay. As a, that sounds like street names made up on Law and Order, where you're like nobody would go by. Nobody, nobody would go by Silky Diamond, like the chicken. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Well, maybe. As as a result of this information, investigators re-interviewed several witnesses who began to name possible suspects. Other suspects were nicknamed Lupe, Cooley, and Soldier. I'm mm-hmm. sure it's not easy to just go off of street names. One witness claimed that this guy who went by Freddy Krueger and Lupe had beat him and for- forced him to take them to the Jordan home just a few days before the fire. The witness also heard that Bernard had, quote, ripped them off. Another witness claimed that on the night of the fire, the two drug dealers were talking about getting revenge on uh, someone they called BJ, which was Bernard's nickname. Shortly after the fire, the witnesses saw the two men again. He claimed that they were laughing and joking about the sounds of people burning to death. Oh, my God. Jesus. Yet another witness, a former girlfriend of Lupe, asked him if he had set the fire, and he told her that he did. He also said that it was done to settle a debt. So the person known as Curly and the person known as Freddy Krueger were eventually identified Um uh, Curly was a man who was named Milton Milton Lee Hunter Jr. And Freddy Krueger was David Broadbelt. Um, okay, I'm confused by Unsolved Mysteries Wiki because they have three names. And they. Okay, anyway, three people were identified Milton Lee Hunter Jr., David Broadbelt, and David Wil- Wilson. Investigators learned. Um, that David Wilson had been killed in a New York subway shootout in 1992, which ironically that still remains unsolved. No one knows who shot him. Okay. According to investigators, he was the mastermind behind the fire. And fortunately he's dead or fortunately, I guess I don't know. (laughs) Uh, The drug dealer who was known as Lupe was identified by several witnesses as Vincent Lamont Thomas 
He had been questioned initially, but was let go. In 2001, he was arrested and charged with capital murder in the case. Unfortunately, prosecutors felt that they did not have enough evidence to bring him to trial, and the charges were dropped. However, the prosecutors noted that he could be arrested again if new evidence surfaces. Hmm. Investigators identified Silky and learned that he had also died in an unrelated shooting. They also identified Cooley and Soldier, but have not been able to locate them. The police are now considering the case closed, but unresolved. Well, if they just wait long enough, apparently everyone involved will just be shot. Yeah, apparently. um, What a God. Imagine bomber laughing at children burning alive. I don't. All right. That's how you. That's, that's how, how you, you choose to settle a debt is you kill a bunch of innocent kids. Well, that's how you end up known as Freddy Krueger. Apparently. Um. Wow. Yeah, that is. That one is a bummer. Just... If anyone's interested, Ketrick wrote a book, um, about hmm. his his life and his experiences. It's called Still Standing: A True Life Story of Ketrick Jordan. Um, hmm. If you're interested in kind of hearing about his life and how he has overcome i don't know overcome this tragedy i'm not sure you could overcome something like that but it, it seems like he's doing good things with his life and you could check that out okay i mean yeah i guess there's the tiniest silver lining and the saddest story ever yeah but now we're gonna dramatically shift gears <laughs> yes we are for an unexplained where robert stack asks do you believe in angels <laughs> Do I, Robert Stack? And I'm pretty sure Robert Stack is standing in a mausoleum in Hollywood Forever Cemetery when he asks you this. Okay, that's an appropriate place for him to be. Yeah. So we have some angel stories for you now. All right. First up, Janie Shamal. She was... uh, Oh, this was back in 76. She was 14 and she was on a vacation with her brother and sister-in-law. They were traveling out west in a camper um, when they got to the Painted Desert, Janie was taking photos with a new cam- camera, and she wanted to make sure she got, like, a really good shot. So she decided, this guardrail, that's not for me. <laughs> More of a suggestion, really. Yeah. That's not for, like, good photographers, 14-year-olds who just got new cameras. <laughs> that's for other people. So she stepped over the guardrail, leaned forward to take a picture, and, of course, falls down a cliff. Um, at that very moment, her mom is in Michigan, sitting down to read the Bible, as she did every day. And she decides to read Psalm 91 and starts to sob, convinced that Janie is going to die. And I'm not sure exactly why she read this psalm. I think she just opened her Bible to a random path. That's what she made it sound like. I'm just going to read Psalm 91. And then she was like, what? Janie's gonna die. Um, let's see. Let's let's pull up this psalm here. I think she was in like part twelve. Okay, so line starting at line eleven of Psalm ninety one is for he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. So that's what she read and uh, started crying. At supposedly the very moment that her daughter went over the cliff. 
is falling over this rocky edge, which I'm not quite sure how they did this reenactment, but they really have this like little kid sitting on like the edge of this ravine, this rock that she slid down. Um, so she's, you know, tumbling straight down and she just sort of inexplicably stops and she could not see the top from where she was. And she wasn't sure how she had stopped and she had no idea how she was going to get back up or how she would like keep from falling further down. So at this point in Michigan, her mom was praying to God and reading the Psalms, um, which talks about being protected by angels, what I just read. And um, when Janie's mom got to that line about the, the foot against thy stone, blah, 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 she stopped crying and she felt at peace. Okay, at this point in the reenactment now, Janie, she's back at the top. She's just standing by that that guardrail she she topped over. And her family is like, oh my god, it's Janie, she's okay. And Janie goes, yeah, I don't remember how I got back up here. And they're like, whatever. We're just glad you're, <laughs> we're just glad you're okay. By the way, it doesn't matter. By the way, don't tell your mom any of this happened. Yeah, they were also like, we don't want to stress out your mom, so just call her and tell her everything's fine. That won't be suspicious at all, right? So she calls her mom, she tells her everything's fine. According to the reenactment, I thought from the way they were saying it, it was like, wait till you get home and she can, like, see you and see that she's fine. Never speak of this. But it seemed like she waited until she got her photos back from the, you know, Kmart or whatever. And she's showing her mom the photos and she's like, oh yeah, this is the one where I fell off a cliff. And her mom's like, what? And she's like, don't you remember when I called you completely out of the blue to tell you that everything was fine? I wasn't supposed to tell. (laughs) Yeah, I wasn't supposed to tell you, but um, remember that totally suspicious phone call where I was just like, guess what, mom? Don't worry, I'm fine. Yeah, so I had actually, like, fallen over this rocky ravine and should have died. And her mom was like, oh, was that the moment that I read Psalm 91 and I started crying? Okay. So they both think that because of her mom's prayers, an angel saved her. So it's good that she started praying right at that second. Okay, next story. This is Estella Vieira, or Vera, sorry, of Riverside, California. So this is March 30th, 1991. Estella and her two grown children are, okay. Wow, I'm going to try to be really respectful about this, but this is wild. Um, And we get the... Possibly the greatest reenactment in Unsolved Mysteries history. Not sure. That's, but that's bold, it's, but honestly, it's really good. <laughs> it's something. So, okay. Estella and her two sons are driving home when they stop, when they spot an ice cream truck being robbed. Robbers. I realize ice cream truck is a cash business. How much cash is that possibly in Could not be that much. You really need those, like, five musty child dollars that are covered in, like, sugar. I saw a thread on, I think it was Twitter, where someone said when they worked at a, as an ice cream truck driver, they cared so little about, you know, whoever their fucking boss was, that kids would come up and be like, can I, can I have an ice cream for this pebble? And they'd be like, oh, yeah. they'd be like sure, kid. Now I'm a <laughs> Amazing. Yes. I just, I... Don't feel like it could be that much money in the truck. Like, maybe don't rob that. But anyway, they spot someone robbing an ice cream truck. And being good civilians, they stop to help. So the robber is, like, literally fighting the ice cream truck owner. 
before the robber gets into the van and for whatever reason drives their ice cream truck straight at Estella, who's just like standing there leaning against her car, waiting for her sons to like save the day. This crashes right into their car with Estella in between the car and the ice cream cock, smushing her. It's wild. Her left leg is severed below the knee, and she suffers cardiac arrest oh my God. from the stress. She drifts out in and out of consciousness for two days. And when she comes to, she asks if they saw the man. Okay. <laughs> I realize what happened to Estella was horrific, but this reenactment... It's, it's beautiful. I don't know what you're talking about. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's it's like a, a painting by the ma- by a, a, a master. It should be in the Louvre. Okay, so Estelle's like, oh, did you guys see that beautiful man? And they're like, mom, what are you talking about? And she insists that as this truck is driving right towards her, she sees this scary ginger haired dude. <laughs> surrounded by light wearing like a white coat like a dentist like get in between okay so she says that she looks up she's instead of getting out of the way estella him she looks up she sees the robber in the ice cream truck his eyes full of hate it is still his defense i think this ice cream truck was very close i'm not sure she could have jumped out of the way i i know i know. i'm sorry i should be nice but obviously so she, she needed this gas station attendant <laughs> looking guy she, she looks up she sees this hateful robber driving right towards her and then in contrast to his hateful face she sees what she just keeps describing as this beautiful man. The reenactment does not really portray that beauty. It portrays a creepy ginger who, yeah, is like a dental assistant, or maybe he sells the ice cream. I think not he, sure. I think he works at a bowling alley handing out shoes. <laughs> and he has white light glowing from him, and he's like floating in between the truck and Estella to save her, which he doesn't really do because she loses a leg. Yeah, it but, wasn't a cardiac arrest. I'm not you sure know, how miraculous this is. I guess it's miraculous that she didn't fucking die because she was hit by an ice cream truck. But it's still not that great of an outcome. <laughs> no. She insists that this was not a dream. She says that she prayed as the truck was coming towards her, reciting the Psalms. And then she saw a beautiful man with a beautiful smile and that she grabbed his hand and put her face against his. And it shows the two of them like <laughs> near near snuggling as a truck is coming towards her. <laughs> and she, this is a quote from her. I cannot really explain this beautiful experience. She says the word beautiful like 50 times. She is completely enamored with this dude. Her husband should be slightly insulted. Okay. I do not have a doubt in my heart that God sent an angel to save me. And then I just wrote, no one else saw the angel. <laughs> I'm so mean. Okay, so no, no one else saw it. Estella's husband also has a very prominent mustache. It's gray. It's It comes to like a slight walrusy thing down each cheek. I called it the ice cream dream. <laughs> but, but he didn't actually see the ice cream angel, so... <laughs> He just gets to be slightly insulted that Estella's like, he was so beautiful. He looked nothing like you. He didn't have a mustache at all. Okay, the thing is, look, I'm not, I'm glad 
that this horrible thing happened to Estella. And she actually kind of sees it as a good thing. So really, you could be like, oh, this is the worst day ever. I got hit by ice cream shock and I lost my leg and I went into cardiac arrest. But to her, this is like this day she was saved by an angel and it's great. Uh So she's like really spun it, I think. Into a thing that no, like doesn't cause her like anxiety to think about. She gets very happy to think about it. Yeah, in a way, it's harmless to believe that <laughs> there's angels. My problem with this segment, well, other than Ed Sheeran appearing to her and saving her from an ice cream truck, is <laughs> it's not who I would pick for my beautiful man vision, but. I don't know, maybe Matt Bomber wasn't available to save people from getting hit by ice cream trucks, so it had to be Ed Sheeran. I don't know. You know what? If I'm if an ice cream truck is coming at me, I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> You'll take Ed Sheeran. You take anyone. Yeah. 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 Save me from the ice cream truck. <laughs> save me from getting squished by an ice cream truck. That's fine. My problem is that they sh- I don't know if this is how it originally aired. Maybe this was like the next week or something maybe there was a sufficient commercial break for you to forget the horrible tragedy that you just learned about for the jordan children and you're like why weren't angels sent for the jordan children why didn't Um, angels break through those windows and pull them out of that fight i don't know that's always my reaction to angel stories and i think we've had some on the show before and people are always like well, that's when I was spared this horrible thing. And it's like, yeah, but horrible things happen all the time. Yeah, we just looked about <laughs> the most horrible thing I can imagine. Five innocent like, children dying in a fire. Angels like, well, didn't come for them. Aren't you special? I guess we needed a separate angel just for Estella's leg. <laughs> and Sharon was busy. And <laughs> Sharon couldn't save that. He could just nuzzle her face. Um... I, I'm glad that it was a positive experience for her because it would have been a very negative experience for me. I would not look back she on this one. got hit by an ice cream truck. <laughs> no. I mean, it's so absurd that I, I would be going there. Only me would get hit by a motherfucking ice cream truck. Like, <laughs> that's how I would be looking at it. Like, this is comical and how just random and stupid it is. It's like, great, I've lost my leg because of a motherfucking ice cream truck robbery. And you know, you know, she was like, guys, don't intervene. Like, you're, no. Yeah, just, just out of call it. the police. And <laughs> she gets fucking a- smushed by an ice cream truck. Yeah, it's not great. I feel like if there's angels, maybe there's not enough because they're not doing a great job. <laughs> so. Also, you know in the Bible, angels are just like a pile of eyeballs. They don't look like people. They're look they're supposed a to be like terrifying. Of- I didn't learn this in Sunday school. A pile of eyeballs? There are supposed to be tons of eyes. Literally a pile? Not in a pile, but like a bunch of eyes. They like they don't they're not humanoid. They're like eyes and maybe wings. But they're supposed they're terrifying. Oh my they're supposed God. to be awe inspiring. They don't look like Ed Sheeran? Yeah. <laughs> that's Estella's interpretation but that is not what the bible says oh, I'm googling angels bible, bible angel description Okay, the book of Ezekiel depicts them as having four faces that of a lion an ox an eagle and a human but there's also just like ones that have just like eyeballs I am not making that up <laughs> <laughs> okay well y- your google search revealed more than mine because I got Angel eyes, natural, tear stain prevention, soft dog chews. 
the picture on the little canister is a little Shih Tzu with a little halo. Oh, well, there you it's go. very cute. Huh. Well, a pile of eyeballs didn't save Estella from the ice cream truck. No. So no. it may have just been her un- unconscious brain. She was seeing what she wanted to see. And um, well, see, that's fine. If I'm gonna, if I'm hit by an ice cream truck, I want my brain to manifest the beautiful man of my dreams. Not, not like Joe Rogan. Oh God! <laughs> I, I would have wished that ice cream truck had backed up and hit me again. <laughs> um, I'm trying to find this eye thing, and I know it's in here somewhere. I feel like they're trying to keep the truth from us. I mean, that's the reason why angels appear to people. They're like, be not afraid. It's because they look terrifying. They have to tell people that. Be- I mean, I guess that makes sense. Old Testament angels are described as interlocking wheels and covered in eyes. Oh. Okay. Okay. I guess it's messenger angels who look more like humans. So There's like all different types of angels. I don't know. Huh. This is complicated. <laughs> I haven't watched the movie The Prophecy too recently. I can't. Uh, I'm not up on my angel lore. Okay. Well, it's time for you to talk about a lost love, Samantha. All right. We're looking for the parents of Brenda Abbey. And I genuinely don't remember anything about this mystery. (laughs) Okay. Do you want to know what my notes are? Yes. Number six, lost love. And then she died. (laughs) Oh, yeah. She does die. This is is sad. Um, It's literally... That's literally all I wrote down. Oh, I... Okay, I have a, a disclaimer on this one, which is that Unsolved Mysteries uses some dated language in this episode mm-hmm. that you should mm-hmm. be aware of and that I will not be using. Uh, it's true. Yes. Uh, so be prepared for that if you're watching this. Okay, so uh, yes, we're looking for Brenda Abbey's parents. So 45-year-old Brenda Abbey of Chester, Virginia, is searching for her birth parents. They gave her up for adoption when she, when she was an infant, and they worked for the Settler and Wilson Traveling Carnival. That's right, ep- everyone. This episode has carnies. <laughs> it has everything! <laughs> it really kind of does have everything. In April 1949, Brenda was adopted by Sullen and Thelma Zemir... Is that their real names? Sullen and Thelma Zemir. I love it. I hope it is. They were of uh, Petersburg, Virginia. When she was 16, Brenda learned that her birth parents had worked for the Settler and Wilson Carnival. In 1983, Brenda developed a serious health problem. Because of her need for her family's medical history, Virginia officials released a copy of Brenda's birth certificate to her. This is when she learned that her birth parents were Elizabeth Hansen and Walter Dean Perry. She also learned... I just want to go do 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 just in the background the whole time that you talk. Uh, yeah, listeners, imagine that that is what what is going on. We see a lot of carnivals in this mystery. She kind of travels to carnivals uh, to add to the the vibe. Um, so her yes, her birth parents were Elizabeth Hansen and Walter Dean Perry. She also learned that she had two siblings. The most important clue for Brenda's search was her father's occupation. Uh, I don't know why the birth certificate gave her this information. I think it maybe was in like a job column. Like he wrote this as his his job. His job. He was like, oh, I run the carnival. I'm the like 
side work for the carnival of little people yeah so he had he ran this sideshow that was all little people uh that was the whole sideshow there weren't like other attractions it was just that uh it was just that he was doing something with that part of the carnival yeah what he was doing is unclear i think he was just come look at these little people and he was like the barker yeah so that's cool um can you can you have a mystery that doesn't somehow involve going to a carnival surely at night (laughs) no and Will you find out that the carnival is haunted, but it's not really haunted because it's just an old man pretending to be a ghost because he <laughs> wants the land? That is- why is it? Why is there something? Is it because they're just going to leave town? Why is there something kind of offsetting about a carnival? I don't know why. Why does it have that like air of mystery? Is it the lights? Is it like-, like the childish thing? Like, I mean, clowns, clowns are terrifying. Clowns are terrifying. There's something to me. Okay, me and um, resident librarian Megan, years and years ago, we've known each other too long. Uh, we're at a little carnival near our hometown, and they were hiring people to take down rides. But it just meant that on every ride was this poster of like asking people to come tear down the rides and there's something to me that was so unsettling about thinking about how they just like rip the rides down throw them on the back of the truck and then go to the next town that i was like i can't get in on any of these rides no it just like really was super off-putting to me to think about how it's like they just hire any old person off the street too they're not saving every nut and bolt no, I was like, this is not safe. And I've, I'm not really sure I've ever gone on a carnival ride again after really thinking about that. You really, like, I mean, that is the thing is you, you don't, don't think about it. If, if something, if something goes really wrong, like those people will be gone tomorrow and you will never find them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. They're and barely traceable the as it is. Yeah, that's the situation this woman's in. She's like, I want to find my carny parents, but they're carnies, so... Can't find them anywhere. Yeah, literally all she knows is their name, and then she knows the name of the show that her father ran in the specific carnival. Which maybe is is a decent amount, considering you could be going working with nothing. So Brent, Brenda began looking for anything about the carnival during 1948. She found a news article that mentioned her father's show um, and b- his name was a part of the, the title of the show, and so she assumed that this was the group that he had worked with. In April 1994, Unsolved Mysteries joined Brenda to experience her first her search firsthand, which just means that they went to a bunch of carnivals and like asked random people, and everybody's like, "No, they probably don't even go by their real names." They're like, "No, I don't know who that is." Yeah, uh, yeah. Brenda. Also, if someone wants, even though I just said that I don't go on carnival rides, if someone wants me to to help them investigate a mystery that involves going to lots of carnivals, like please it's gonna be so hard because i feel like maybe this that is sounds just- lit though that sounds <laughs> lit. It does i want to <laughs> eat that caramel corn and have an excuse to go talk to everybody and i don't know it's fascinating that's true that would make a really good uh adventure i would say but i feel like every carny you talk to is gonna be like we don't like as a rule we don't share our last names <laughs> like 
Like, I don't ask what people's names are, what their stories are. They don't ask for mine. And I purposely know nothing. Like, that's what I imagine it's like. Maybe that's not true. Maybe it was at one point, but isn't now. In my mind, they're living in, like, a communist utopia where they share everything. They've all had sex with each other. And yet they <laughs> they don't know anybody's real names. And if someone left today, they would never speak of them again. I assume that's I'm sure that's exactly how it goes. <laughs> If you work for a carnival, write in. Let us know if we are right or wrong. Perhaps it's your podcast at gmail.com. I want to hear from the carnies of America. Speak up for yourselves. Tell us the truth. Tell us how it works. Okay, so uh, at first... um, Okay, so Unsolved Mysteries and Brenda go to this carnival and they interview a bunch of carnival (laughs) workers. Uh huh. Uh-huh. It's great atmosphere. Yeah, it's great footage. It is a little bit interesting. They talk about carnival life during the 1940s. That's kind of interesting if you you know you're watching this episode. Um, and at first, Brenda did think that some of the workers maybe actually knew her mother. However, she did the math and realized that the woman they were talking about would have been too old to be her mother. Uh, Brenda's mother was 24 at the time. However, one carnival worker thought that the woman may actually have been Brenda's grandmother. Um, honestly, who knows? Another lead Brenda followed involved a man named Ward Hall, who had booked carnival shows on the East Coast. Ward knew carnival workers back in the 1940s. However, he did not remember remember Brenda's parents. A few weeks earlier, a judge allowed Brenda's adoptive parents' adoption papers to be unsealed. The documents revealed where Brenda's parents had gone after her adoption, which was Alaska, so probably not easy to find. Uh, despite this information, Brenda learned that the Settler and Wilson Carnival never traveled to Alaska, so that really didn't help her at all. She also... Uh, I can't imagine many carnivals that are in the continental United States go to Alaska. Like, what a trek! That is a long ways. That has to be really profitable while you're in Alaska to, like, make up for all that travel. Yeah, and that honestly, that, that Alaska lead might not have been totally true because she could find no information that suggested that her parents traveled to Alaska alone and the carnival didn't go there. So uh, ultimately, the adoption papers were a dead end. So Unsolved Mysteries, so she's hoping that Unsolved Mysteries will help uh, get the word out and they will, uh, her family will reach out. And they do. So this is solved. On the night of the broadcast, several relatives of Brenda called the telecenter, including her mother, brother, and two of her sisters. There were also calls from friends of more of Brenda's siblings. Brenda was saddened to learn that her father had died in 1959, but she was excited to learn that she has 11 brothers and sisters. She goes from thinking she has two siblings to finding out she has 11. 11. (laughs) In August 1994, Brenda's sister, Martha uh, Oki or Oak of St. Clair Shores, Michigan, hosted a reunion. Although Brenda's birth mother was unable to attend, Brenda was finally able to meet four of her siblings, Martha, Th- uh, Thomas, uh, Susan, uh, and Frank. Uh, Martha, Thomas, Susan, and Frank. However, at the time of the reunion, three of her siblings had not been located. Fortunately, when the story was re-aired, another brother was found in Florida, and twin siblings, uh, Jean and James, were found in Ohio. Brenda's search is finally over. (sighs) However, Brenda sadly passed away on August 12th, 2018. She was 69. Her siblings, Jean and James, have also since passed away. That's wild. Unsolved Mysteries curse strikes again. Do you think after a little while of finding out about siblings, she was like, okay, I only wanted a couple. 11? This is too much. <laughs> Slow down. I, 
I have to buy eleven more more Christmas presents this year. I can't afford that. No, thank you. The reunion is filmed and it is really sweet. Um, so yeah, it is. Yeah, she seemed very happy about it, despite my me joshing just now. She did not seem like she was going. I don't actually want this many. She she seemed delighted. Yes. I wonder if any of them continued the Cardi lifestyle. I don't know. That'd be interesting mm. to find out. Well, anyway, we have one last mystery. You made it this far. <sighs> this is a marathon. It really is. Oh, my God. We've been talking for an hour and 42 minutes. <laughs> okay. Wow. We have an unexplained death for you now. This was from January 24th, 19... 19- 87. A deputy sheriff was gunned down in his Burbank home. The next day, an anonymous witness called the police, claiming to know the identity of the killer, but very helpfully didn't say who it was. (laughs) What's the point? Yes, so this is the death of Charlie Anderson. He had a mustache that I called the picket fence because it is just a neat little row of hairs. (laughs) Okay. So what we learned about Charlie Anderson is that he was a skilled driver and he trained other officers in driving. He was supposedly well-liked and had no enemies, but he was a cop. So that's kind of hard to believe. Uh, Look, you can't say a cop has no enemies. Yeah, that's true. I don't believe you. That's true. Even if he was mostly training driving, he surely arrested people at some point. Anyway, I'm not saying I'm his enemy necessarily. (laughs) It's just... Surely he made some enemies being a police officer. Um, So in 87, according to his wife, Beth, they arrived home with their two young sons around midnight. So they, you know, pull up in the driveway after visiting her parents. Charlie took one sleeping child into the house and was going to come back for the other. He tucks his son into bed. Then his wife heard what she thought was a car backfiring. Clearly, cars used to be backfiring all the time. I feel like that's not really so much an issue anymore. So she walks to the house to see what's wrong. She isn't thinking that it's gunshots, but she did hear something. And then she finds Charlie laying on the floor. She grabs her youngest son out of the car and then runs to the neighbor's house. Which is kind of scary for me because that means their other son is just like tucked up in bed. But he was fine. But, I mean, obviously she's not going to go, like, wander around the house, like, not knowing where the gunman is, but it's just really scary. Anyway. Um, Originally, the police thought that this was a burglary gone wrong. However, items in the house were moved very carefully. Didn't really look like a burglary. Uh, While some items were, like, in a pile together, like they were going to be taken, other valuable items weren't touched. Um, his sister Trish was called to the scene that night and recalls that he had, okay, this is not evidence in any way, but this is what they tell you, that he had a wide-eyed look on his dead face as, as if he was shocked or betrayed. Oh. I was like, also, he's dying! Shocked or betrayed. Maybe he was just yeah, that- frightened at seeing someone with a gun. I'm I'm thinking he saw death and he realized there was nothing on the other side. He just saw a ho- he he just saw hollow. That was his face Deep. realizing that there's no heaven or hell. There's just nothing. He <laughs> <laughs> was like, "Oh, life is so fleeting," and I uh, uh and then he, he you know he expired. Anyway, the only <laughs> that is not my point. Is that's not evidence? If a guy dies, he's not gonna like 
look delighted. His corpse isn't going to be like, yes, I'm so glad I got shot at my own home. Um, <laughs> the only fingerprints found by the police were belonging to the family. So, okay, this segment is really about the person who called the police station saying he knew who killed Charlie, but he calls the, like, line and it's being recorded and he, like, makes this big stink that he doesn't want to be recorded. And they're like, okay, well, to call back on, like, an unrecorded line, you're going to have to call the sergeant's, like, desk. So you have to call back. And obviously that person didn't call back. So they were still trying to um, find the caller, but obviously that, like, didn't work. Guess what? That's not what happened. Here is um, the update, the results from Unsolved Wiki. Unsolved. In the late 1990s, investigator received a tip on the case. A year-long investigation ensued. However, no arrests were made. In 1999, they presented their case to the Los Angeles DA, but prosecutors said there was insufficient evidence to bring to charge any of suspects. The investigators have looked into Beth the wife as a personal possible person of interest, as she has refused to be interviewed then by this night of Charlie's murder. That means nothing, by the way. The stage robbery and lack of physical evidence as a intruder has also made them suspicious of her. However, she has never been named as a suspect in the case. Charlie's wife died on Christmas morning, 2018, at the age of 65. Um, I would also say that it's possible this is cop-related, as many unsolved crimes are. Sure, yeah. Maybe he knew something he wasn't supposed to know. Maybe he was going to, I don't know turn in one of his fellow officers for stealing stuff from the evidence locker. Something like that. Maybe this is, I, is am I just talking about an episode of The Shield? Yes, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stuff like that does happen. Uh, I wouldn't assume it's Beth just because she doesn't want to talk to the police. The fact that she doesn't want to talk to the police who were her like husband's co-workers, that kind of makes me suspicious of them is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It seems like she would know them. She would be, you would think, be more willing to talk to them. And instead, she's like, actually, no, I'm going to keep my distance. Well, um, they, she didn't want to talk to them the night it happened. She has two kids. Yeah. Her husband was just killed. Yeah. Like, of course. She's, she's probably, she's probably things to worry about. Yeah. She doesn't need to be drugged down to the station to be interviewed. Yeah. Um, That's not evidence. It's weird that they called his sister and they had his sister come to the crime scene. Isn't that odd? Yeah. And cruel. That kind of, and that kind of, and why did she see his dead body like in the house, like not at the morgue? That makes me suspicious of them too. Yeah, the whole thing is weird. I don't know. Who knows what happened? Um, there is some more information about this, but it's all like, who knows? Like, prop, like probe, ongoing. Like, there's, I don't know. I couldn't find anything concrete at all so well, that's it but bad for his <laughs> this uh yeah poor beth unless she did it i guess but i'm not really i'm not really leaning towards her um that's it you finally made it to the end this episode has everything big carnivals <laughs> bigfoot angels amnesia uh, fish farms (laughs) tropical exotic fish dead police officers arson um someone getting hit by an ice cream truck (laughs) carnivals again a weird angel angel that's apparently beautiful um yeah i 
it, it's every, it's a it's a buffet of a unsolved mysteries episode. So let's rate it. How are we even going to rate this? Okay, <laughs> mysteriousness <laughs> is the first category. I feel like pretty mysterious. Um, Bigfoot, no concrete answers there. Angels, no concrete answers there. Charlie Anderson, uh, that's pretty mysterious. Um, did, plus, oh God, what else do we did? Talk this about? guy have amnesia? Who killed the uh, the Jordan children? I feel like a lot of these are pretty mysterious. Actually, yeah. Considering how many mysteries we are, it's kind of amazing that they're not more wrapped up by this point. Yeah, I'm glad that woman found her carnival siblings. <laughs> um, but in general, it does lean towards mysterious. I'm saying thumbs up. Thumbs up. Reenactments. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, Bigfoot rolling down a hill. Can they? They need to start doing Oscars. And I realize this is on TV, and I don't care. But they need to start doing Oscars for things where they like. We overlooked this. We made a mistake. You deserve an Oscar. And I think it should go to this episode <laughs> for Bigfoot rolling down a hill. Um, and then also Angel and Sharon saving a woman from an ice cream truck. I mean, what more do you want in life? Nothing. Exactly. Nothing. This this episode has it all. Thumbs up for reenactments. Yeah. Thumbs way up. Okay. What about fashion? You know what? Actually, I would say that's where this episode lacks. Yeah. Thumbs down. Considering how many mysteries there are. We We get a lot of people. We see a, a wide... With all of these mysteries, we get introduced to a lot of different people, including carnies. And the fashion is still subpar. Yeah, so, thumbs down. No, thumbs down. A couple down. mustaches. We got the ice cream dream, but that doesn't carry the fashion category. <laughs> Not this time. No. I'm giving MVM to Bigfoot's BFF. <laughs> no, ice cream dream. Not bad either. No, no it's uh, But that's it. That's all you got. Unless your dream fashion is like a white lab coat that an angel's wearing for some reason that you're gonna be disappointed uh robert stack okay i like that he was so not into the bigfoot one i think he was more on board with the angels one yeah. but you could tell he's really like we're talking about bigfoot again like <laughs> <laughs> he's like over it and i i respect it i do, I do actually <laughs> Robert, you can get a thumbs up from me. A thumbs up because he did not want to go to work that day. <laughs> then he's like, "We've talked about Bigfoot before." And they're like, "Too bad, Robert. People, the people want it." This is different, like, Stack. All right, it's different. We have Stack. a rich guy to interview this time. Um, and Stack was like, "Whatever, I'll be on my gold yacht." Okay, out of a possible five, Robert Stacks. I'm going to say four. I liked it. Yeah, there's enough here for everybody. I feel like you get a smorgasbord, you know, all you yeah. can eat. You can kind of kind of pick which ones you want. Yeah, I think this is a good one. Do you want to see uh, a Bigfoot chase a guy through the woods? Do you want to see the saddest arson ever? No. Why would you? I don't know, but it's here. Um, yeah. Two angel stories. Three Bigfoot stories. Multiple. Uh, what happened to this person? We got a possible lost love reunion. So there is something for everybody in this one. Possible legitimate amnesia. Possible dude just bailing on his marriage. Exotic fish farming. <laughs> I mean. Got it all. It 
has it all. I I think as a podcaster, when I sat down and I saw this was two hours, I was pissed. As a viewer, I would have been delighted. (laughs) (laughs) It was just more work for you. Yeah, exactly. I was like, no, no, I have to take twice as many notes. But... If I was just watching Unsolved Mysteries like a normie, like a normal person, this would have been great. This would have been such a lovely treat. You could make some popcorn. You could have friends over. You could fast forward through the arson. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Yeah, I would say four. It's a, good, it's, a, it's a great note to end season six that we've been doing seriously since last December. Oh, finally. <laughs> okay, very quickly... Should we do recommendations? Yeah, I've got a quick one. What do you got? Okay, so quickly. It's been a minute since we talked about a skincare recommendation. So I'm going to recommend the product Wonderpore. Okay. By by Etude House. Now this is a, it says cream on here now. I bought this years ago and it said essence and I was confused by it. That word essence really threw me off and I didn't exactly know what to do with it and it sat in my medicine cabinet. And then for some reason, the other day, I was like, oh, I should actually use this product before it expires. And it also, I finally clicked that something goes called Wonder Pour. I should probably put on my pores. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Guess what? Works great. Shrinks down your pores. Nice. So I've been putting this on before I go to sleep. And you wake up the next day and it's like, oh tiny little baby pores it kind of has the effect of a good uh sheet mask is what i will say nice now i so i in fact liked this so much that i ordered more and it's been long enough that it's now in different packaging i kind of wish it still had the pump okay and now it's, it's now it's in a tub with a lid and you put your finger in there i'm not as into that but i like the product enough that i'm still gonna recommend it okay this is currently 15 dollars on amazon or 16 dollars on amazon I think you notice a very dramatic difference, hmm. like right, like pretty quickly. I might get some. I could use smaller pores. I right? Who couldn't? It's true. Um, I mean, I don't know. Probably someone listening to this, but I we judge you. <laughs> um, <laughs> how dare you have beautiful babies, kid? Yeah. Do I really have anything else to say? But I mean, that's Korean. Obviously, it's good. I just didn't understand how to use it because the instructions are literally like apply to skin. <laughs> and I was like, essence. I what is an essence? Well, it's a thing that does something other than moisturizing, basically. Okay, got it. So I this isn't this is like to replace a moisturizer. I still use a moisturizer, but this does an extra. Hmm. You know. Nice. I do recommend it. Yeah. Wonder pour. Very nice. I might have to get me some. All right. My recommendation uh, is also going to be pretty quick. And it is that I recently read the new Mary Roach book called Buzz. Mary Roach, if you're not familiar with that author, you might recognize some of her other titles, such as Stiff. Uh, She wrote Gulp, um, Packing for Mars. She writes about like very specific subjects and she kind of spans... Uh, They're deep dives. Yeah, deep dives into, but like, it's a deep dive in that she covers a lot, but like, in small chunks. If that makes sense, mm. I feel like I'm not describing this very well. Uh, but uh, her books are extremely popular. I feel like if you are someone who hasn't read a lot of nonfiction, Mary Roach books are a good 
entry point into nonfiction because they're very entertaining. You learn a lot. You learn a variety of different things. You learn things that are kind of like fun facts that you'd never heard before. Um, she, she like, her, one of her like things is that she will go and she would like spend a day with someone like she in um stiff she opens up that book by going to like see uh anatomy like dissection of like human heads <laughs> and that whole book is about like what do we do like with the dead with our dead after what happens after we die things like that it's a very interesting book so she does that yeah, except that there's a really long description of maggots in that book well, that's what and I love about it. <laughs> some someone named Liz couldn't get past that part. Well, people are people are always talking about that book, and she's just like, "If you're yeah. squeamish, Stiff might not be for you. You might want to try but, one of her other but books." The, but the maggots, though. But the maggots. Yeah. So her new book that just came out is called Fuzz, and it is uh, the. T- the subtitle of that book is when animals break the law and it's all about human animal conflict. So she talks about things like um, uh, bears in Aspen getting into dumpsters. She rides along with some people that are trying to combat um, bears in like non-lethal ways. Um, She talks about elephants in Asia, which are actually like a a big pest. Like elephants are like a big problem. They're kind of like a a pest species because they come in and they trample crops. There's nothing you can do about it. Um, She talks about like unique ways that people are trying to like deal with human animal conflict. She talks about sort of the myths and also realities of people who've been killed by animals like bears and cougars and stuff like that she talks about mice all kinds of all kinds of different things like like i said her books tend to have a lot of variety in them i really liked it i would say it's not my favorite mary roach book um but i liked it because it was so different um and i did like always learn a lot that you wouldn't think of um when you're thinking it's about, not your favorite because there's not enough about maggots in you know it, right? that is true there's a little bit of dismembering you know when we're talking about people being attacked by animals but but honestly that's not as common as you might think um people really don't get attacked and killed by animals very often but obviously when it does happen it's a big deal so there's she talks about that um yeah, I really liked it. If you're looking for a, a quick read, entertaining read, you want to learn a little bit, I think I might put it on our book club reading list next year because I think I think um, we have to. We would really enjoy it. Uh, it's good. I know you think that she stole the idea from us, which I think is yeah. fair. That's what I was gonna say. My issue with this book <laughs> is that this is our idea. <laughs> that once upon a time we did a thing where I just made up true crime podcast titles and you looked up to see if they were real and one of them was crimes are us which is not which is still up for grabs but as far as i know but that that and i imagined that that would be crimes committed by animals like giraffes (laughs) and then it turned out she wrote this book about crimes committed by animals and i was a little bit like mary roach i know you're one of the five five, mary roach i see you (laughs) What I will say is that I was hoping there would be more crime and there is not that much crime. It really is human animal conflict as far as like animals encroaching and or and vice versa. I mean, really, we're going into their territory. But as the two co- converge, there's problems. Um, it's really not like she opens the book by talking about old timey stories of like people putting pigs on trial or like, you know, some country, I think, put all of the mice on trial or all of the the like the weevils which is like 
a, a bug that gets into your grain or something like they put them on trial and like the weevils didn't show up to court or whatever uh oh shocking <laughs> and i was like i was into it and i but she doesn't talk like her books are are usually about what's going on right now not really like historical stuff so she doesn't go that much into it um I, I'm assuming want that book though that is about people putting animals on trial. Well, I'm assuming that she heard our idea, stole it, but then found out there's not actually that much animal crime to write a book about. So she had to stretch yeah, it. That could bit. be. That could be. That she was like bears getting into dumpsters. Like, is that really a crime? I mean, I guess elephant vandalism. You know, like what if the elephants were actually like painting murals? I mean, that as that was. That would be lovely. They were sp- spray painting. Yeah, with their trunks. Yeah, elephants out tagging. I mean, you know how you know how they like train elephants to make paintings to amuse tourists. Sure. I assume by like beating them or probably something horrible, but what if the elephants take their artistic abilities on the road for graffiti purposes? I like that they idea. Bo- they break out of the like resorts or wherever they are and then yeah, they they start just graffitiing like free the elephants on the side of buildings and it's too bad that the the capybaras that are taking over that gated community weren't featured in the book but i think that's happened since publication so maybe part two will feature capybaras fuzz two capybaras on the loose um i loved 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 back when there was the colbert rapport and he would do this ongoing recurring segment monkey on the lamb which was always about (laughs) monkeys who had escaped but it had this great graphic of a monkey i think riding a lamb backwards and shooting two like pistols in the air somehow i oh think my- this is not the oh first time you've mentioned monkey on the lamb on this podcast. <laughs> probably not because i loved it because i loved it so much so it's familiar can i feel, can I feel like, like it's because you've told me this before <laughs> you're like i there's no way i saw that it's definitely Liz going remember monkey on the lamb no, Liz, no one else remembers that. <laughs> Stephen Colbert is extremely boring now. And it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, those were the days. Okay, I guess we can wrap it up now that I've... Now that I fit in my contractual obligation to mention Monkey on the Lamb again, I think we can wrap things up. All right. Yeah, let's plug our shit and get out of here. So um, we are on social media, Facebook, Instagram. Are you going to make a TikTok so you can tell men they are shortcakes? If, if Arden wants to run the Perhaps It's You TikTok, it's all hers. I'm not doing it. <laughs> I am not pointing. I'm not making videos of myself pointing to just random oh, spots God. of air and then filling in words oh. and, and having like the lighting change and putting that drama sound. I'm not doing it. Yeah, honestly, I was <laughs> just thinking about that and I would rather die. Okay, so, but you can find us <laughs> on Facebook, where the olds are. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, <laughs> send us your spooky stories. Have you been injured by a Bigfoot? Send us your story. Yeah, we cannot we guarantee financial compensation, but we will tell your story <laughs> on our season six finale. Yes, we're finally doing a season six finale. We need your stories. Send it to us. Perhaps it's you podcast at gmail.com. You can also send your last minute scene uh, submissions yeah. to perhaps it's you podcast at gmail.com. Um, what else do I want to say? You can Patreon. give us money. You will get access to uh, like over 40 bonus episodes for just a dollar a month. We also have some other goodies you can get for a little bit more. It's a great deal. You should check it out. Um, we have a lot of fun yeah, do you want over on Patreon. Stickers. 
Yeah. Do you want to be in the Lenny Briscoe want- fan club? Lenny Briscoe is a dog. Uh, of course you do. <laughs> Go of check course. it out on Patreon. <laughs> Um, and you should, you should do Samantha solid by slamming that subscribe button and also leaving us a five-star review. The only type of review we accept. Please, if you haven't already, celebrate the end of season six by leaving us a five-star review and telling us everybody how great, how great we are. Uh, make a new account. I don't know. Have your, make your mom sign up for <laughs> iTunes. <laughs> Leave us yeah. another review. Seriously, go to the library, log in on different computers, make different account names, set up other Gmails. I don't care how you do it, just do it. Say, I'm so glad season six is over, but also Sam and Liz are the best. And yes, I call her Sam. We're a very close friend. <laughs> Five stars. And Samantha's like, no one calls me that. It's like, well, that's how good of friends you guys are. It's true. It's the only you person. can call me Sam if you leave us a five-star review. <laughs> I love it. Okay, we will be back in a couple weeks to do a Listener Stories episode. And we don't have to talk about season six anymore. Yeah, finally. <laughs> Aren't you so happy? I'm extremely happy. Okay, so if you see our ice cream truck speeding towards you, just remember to say your psalms, everyone. Because I, I want you to think of that as a positive experience and not a negative one. We want Ed Sheeran to appear to you. Yeah. I find his name so hard to say. I'm sorry, Ed. <laughs> Sheeran? Sheeran. Sh- Sheeran? I don't know. That's right. That's just not, that doesn't feel natural in my mouth. <laughs> well. You know what? I don't think he's one of the five. Uh, he's not. Yeah, he's not. Just be, just BD Wong. That's our celebrity list. He sends us an email tomorrow. Like, uh, Liz, get it together. You said my wrong, name wrong five times. I was on Game of Thrones. All right. Well, I'll keep barking. Bye. Bye.